Hello and welcome to the Branching Path Podcast, Episode 2. I am your host, Kyle, joined by the other host, John. Hey, John. Hello. What's up? What have you been playing lately? I've been playing, I'm still playing a lot of Etrian Odyssey Nexus. That game is kicking my ass, but I can't stop for some reason. Yeah, you, you've had a number of complaints, and every time you talk about it in Telegram, it, it's usually to complain, <laughs> but you're enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I'm still liking it. You know, I like the RPG mechanics. I like the class building. Um, what bothers me is the, the damage swings more than anything. Okay. But mind you, I am, I am playing on the hardest difficulty because I'm an idiot and I can't help myself. Um, but from what I read on, like, uh, game FAQs, um, game facts, whatever you want to call it, um, some people playing on even the easiest difficulty have a struggle. That's just kind of what the series is known for, right? Right. Oh, wait, so just to quickly talk about that, it does have difficulty setting. I don't know if you mentioned yeah, that last time. Yeah, it's time. got... I think I complained about it. Um, oh, okay. But if, if I didn't mention it during the, the actual conversation about difficulty, I should have. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm playing on, on Heroic because it's the only way you get the little Heroic badge next to your save file. And apparently that matters. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> when it shouldn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's fun. The only thing that bothers me is even with a pretty defensive party, um, certain things can basically one shot my whole team when it doesn't feel like they should be able to there's this moth enemy in a, a small side dungeon that aside from this enemy i was well prepared for i beat the boss super easily um but this enemy could inflict has a chance to inflict panic which is basically confused from any other rpg um on the whole party and then there's a chance that your party is going to waste their action or do something stupid and um, it also has this, this moth enemy also has a party wide attack, which does like, I think it hit me for 300 once, um, which is twice the HP my tankiest character had. <laughs> That's brutal. And you weren't like super underleveled for this part of the game? Oh no, if anything, even, even on heroic, like, I don't know if, if the EXP reward actually changes depending on difficulty, but even on heroic, um, it's pretty easy to become overleveled in this game. Oh, okay. Uh, so if, if anything, I was overleveled. Um, I see. Uh, and you know me, I'm a grinder, so I definitely had more cash than I needed. I had the best armor, all that stuff, and at, at least on two occasions, until I, I and I'll bring this point up actually, um, at least on two occasions I got my ass kicked by this fucking moth, but to survive that dungeon I had to sacrifice my better accessories for a panic-resisting accessory. Oh, okay. So... To, to, to a degree, it's my fault because maybe I'm not playing the game the way the devs intended, which is you, you better gear up for the worst part of the dungeon. In this case, it was panic. Um, you can always take that off for the for the boss if they don't have a panic attack, right? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it actually sounds funny. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what I did. I, I equipped those rings for the dungeon because the encounter rate was fairly high. But when I got to the boss, I put on my better stuff and I kicked its ass. But okay. Yeah, the, the, it would be nice to sur to not run into that and die immediately. Like, what if I didn't save for for half an hour and I have to repeat a, a decent chunk of work, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's the question of, of uh, yeah, of punishment, right? What, how much punishment is reasonable for not equipping the right accessory? Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather that the damage was lower all around and you can kind of feel out the battle more and be like, oh shit, I didn't react to that appropriately. Uh, maybe I'll escape and like regroup and, and try this again. Instead, it's like I got unlucky and got destroyed. Right. Yeah, not great. Um, yeah, so aside from that, though, I'm still enjoying it. Um, I recently went crazy with a, a farming party so I could get rich and buy one of the ultimate weapons already. Nice. Um, and it's been kicking everything's ass, which is fun. <laughs> um, so that, that's kind of it for Etrian. Aside from that, I've been revisiting Tactics Ogre on the PSP. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I, I played that ages ago. I, I don't remember. I remember being positive on it at the time, but I think I was in university, so it was a little while ago. Um, what are your thoughts on it? There's a lot to like, um, but it has it has issues like I don't remember if Final Fantasy Tactics has similar issues with AI, but the biggest issue I'm having with the game right now is um, I went down the chaotic path. So there's um, there's three story paths essentially, um, based and uh, whether or not you go lawful or chaotic is based on a, a choice uh, late in chapter one, I think. Okay. Late chapter one, early chapter two, I can't remember. 
but I went down the chaotic path, so there's a character I can recruit uh, very early in Chapter 2, um, and she's like the best archer in the game. But, <laughs> and, and the lore actually supports that too. Like, there's a, a bit of battle dialogue where she talks about, uh, or where she, she um, one of the opponents talks about, like, the number of kills she's had on the battlefield, and she's like, Something like, yeah, I've killed like 600 or something. What of it or something <laughs> something yeah. like that. And so she's a, this amazing, powerful sniper-esque archer. And the first thing she fucking does in the battle I need to keep her alive in to recruit her, she runs. Let me point out that this battle starts with you surrounded, basically. The enemy is on all three sides. Um, well, I guess almost around. They're, they're like boxing you in, right? So... She starts near the middle of the map because of the, the little story cutscene that plays out. So when the battle starts, you, uh, your main character and her are, uh, are further uh, up on the map and closer to the enemy. The first okay. thing she does is run into the enemy crowd and get like one shot by the boss because he's a dual wielder. Amazing. So the, the way you have to keep her alive, um, and I haven't won the battle yet because I'm a little underleveled, um, is before the fight you unequip her bow. Because then she won't have a ranged <laughs> weapon and she'll run away. That's a, that's terrible. It's so lame. Like uh, I love the story. The graphics in that game hold up so fucking well. The sprite art is amazing, but and also the the music remaster is fantastic. Nice, yeah. Um, yeah, I like so much about this game except that shit. And there's a surprising amount of like keep the NPC alive battles even Damn. in chapter one, and it's like. It's infuriating how dumb they are. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty big oversight for sure. It's so lame that you have to like meta game and unequip her bow, so otherwise she goes and kills herself. She's the exactly. legendary it's, it's archer dumb. who runs into melee range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's so dumb. She's a fucking archer. Like they're not. Yeah. I don't know if, how much you remember about how, how the bow mechanics work. Um, not much to be. But normally, normally when you select your attack, you see the uh, the range it can reach, right? Yeah. Bows aren't limited to that. If you're standing somewhere high up, like you've got the high ground essentially, um, your bow, depending on the map, could reach all the way across the map, regardless right, okay. of what the, the the grid layout says. Is um, is um, and if you're if you're using a bow and not a crossbow, you get an arc on your shot, so you can shoot over obstacles. Oh, she could okay. be anywhere on this fucking map and still hit who she wants to hit. Yeah. But she 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 chooses to, or I guess the AI chooses to run into the fucking crowd. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty lame. So, in general, like, how far are you in the game right now? Uh, I am early chapter two. Okay, so, so how many Which hours do you think you not, not very far. Uh, maybe five or six. It, it's probably a little inflated because I leave the game on sometimes. Okay. But uh, it, it's not a lot. It's pretty okay, early. Okay, so it's game. still early days. Okay, I was going to ask for, like, a, a tentative rating, but I think it's too soon. Let's wait on that for next time. Um, so, I, I still quite like this game. I, I, this isn't the first time I've played it. Yeah. Um, I liked it back then. I still like it now. But I, I guess these issues didn't jump out at me or matter as much to me before. Um, yeah, I, I, I honestly, even now, I would, I would still recommend people who like tactic style games play this game. But yeah, because it's one of the few the issues. <laughs> it's one of the few proper quality ones, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. also, it's um, Yasumi Matsuno, I think, is his name, the guy behind all the the writing and directing of like Vagrant Story. He went. Oh, to it Square. is. So, Oh, yeah, it's the same guy behind FF Tactics, oh, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and it shows, like, this This is a quality game. Cool. But did this did this come out before like FFT or, or after FFT? <laughs> so this is, the PSP um, game is a remake slash remaster slash expansion, I guess, yeah. of the original SNES game, Tactics Ogre. Um, oh, I thought, was, was there not one on PS1? Was there, like, a re-release... In the PS1 era of the Super Nintendo game, or am I wrong about that? Yep, nope, that was that. That's true. That's uh, okay. So during PS1 era, the the game came out again, like a, a remaster, I guess, um, or port. Okay, I didn't. I don't think I played the PS1 one much, but um, yeah, all, all three I think are the the same game. The PSP version has some new content, uh, and it's just like really polished. It's it's really nice. Um, cool. Uh, and during that. During the SNES era, when this was made, Matsuno, I think, was at Quest. So he, he's also behind, I think, um, uh, like Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen. Ogre. Yeah. I don't think he was involved with Ogre Battle 64. I think he'd gone to Square already. But Oh, really? I actually um, quite like 64. 
same. Yeah, oh, I can't wait to revisit that. Yeah, um, me too. I was spoilers, actually just going to say. Podcast spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> you talking about that made me want to absolutely revisit that. Actually, that'd be something I would love to play on original hardware, but I'm guessing that's a super expensive game. Yeah, probably. I haven't checked. You know what? I've got. I've always got an Amazon tab open. Let's have a look. Okay. Mute your mic so we don't hear your little tip-tap typing. No. 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 <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Ogre Battle 64, <laughs> English language cart. Eh, okay. Uh, well, we're for anyone who doesn't know, I guess already we're Canadian, so on oh Canadian God, price. We're getting docks now. It's not a big country, dude. <laughs> the uh, uh, Canadian price for the cart alone seems to be like 65 bucks. So that's not. Oh, bad. that's actually not as bad as I expected. I might have to do some some flea market looking for that one. Sweet. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to revisit that. I loved that game as a kid. Um, to, to wrap up Tactics Ogre um, for PSP, I'm still enjoying it, but I have to put it down sometimes because those battles are infuriating. Yeah, that's it's so annoying. What a bummer. What a, what a blemish um, on an otherwise cool game. Yeah, it's yeah. there's ways around it, but it, it sucks. Let's, it sucks. <laughs> um, so what, what, <laughs> what have you been playing? Um, so just to finish up uh, from last time, I, I talked about Astalon, Tears of the Earth. Um, I'm playing it on the PS5. It's it's just on the PlayStation Store. I think you played it on the Switch. He said, um, "Yep." Little little indie game from a company called or a developer called Labs Works. I said it was Dongen Entertainment last time, but that was wrong. And I also assumed it was Japanese, which was also wrong. So, just big big brain moves last time. Um, so Labs Works <laughs> is the developer. Um, American, as far as I can tell, pretty small team, as far as I can tell, as well. Uh, they've kind of indicated that there's going to be a sequel to this, or at least they want there to be a sequel. So I think when they finished it, like they, they liked the product well enough they wanted to do more. So I hope it's it sells well enough they get to do that because the first game was awesome. I, I really enjoyed it all the way till the end. I managed to, to 100% it. I did need to, to look up a bit of help for it. But for the most part, the exploration's really... Um, like it's not too obscure or too obtuse for the most part. I didn't feel like, oh my God, I never ever would have found that. Um, I just didn't really want to necessarily spend hours and hours finding the last room. I didn't know where it was. So, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was very good. I can't recommend it enough. Um, we'll probably do corrections and stuff like this at the kind of, if not the top of every podcast early on. Um, I think that was our only correction for today. My my complete, you know, incorrect knowledge about who made the game and where it was from. Um, there was nothing else that you needed to correct uh, the record from last time, John. Oh, uh, you know what? I want to correct something I just said, oh. which was the price of Ogre Battle. Um, oh. I was looking at the first listed item, and, you know, I, I'm an idiot, so I just assumed it was good. But this, in the comments, um, this seller doesn't have the greatest rating. So oh. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how accurate this is. But if I look at the next one, which has a much better rating, and I go check the used prices, we're looking at cartridge only in like-new quality like new to good quality being at a minimum of 265 no that's holy lord okay so that's off the table yeah authentic game cartridge only game in good use condition with light signs of wear 279 wow yeah i i expected it was going to be way up there so that that doesn't surprise me per se but that is super disappointing well here you go so that's live corrections all right our our um What's, what That's how doing? dedicated we are. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, what do you call uh, like I do your wanna... behind the scenes team that does that stuff? Your editors? I guess, yeah. Our editors are hard You're, at work. Uh... Uh, their names are John and Kyle, and they suck. Um, <laughs> what were you going to say? Me, sorry, actually, <laughs> just one second, though, because I'm fairly certain this game is on the Wii U eShop. No way, really? If, you're, if you still own a Wii U. <laughs> that would be legendarily cool. Let's have a look at this. Ogre Battle 64. Oh, if I check tip-tap tipping. This guy. <laughs> That's how you know that worst word. I'm so committed <laughs> to giving you this good info. <laughs> Can't even get it out. <laughs> and I'm a lazy editor, so I don't, I'm not editing out the typing. Deal with it. <laughs> uh, let's have a look here. Later re-released for the Wii through Virtual Console. Later released through Virtual Console for Wii U in 2017. So you can probably still get it there. No way. I'm actually going to probably do that when we're done today before it disappears. <laughs> Sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to do the same. Sweet. Everybody listening should do the same. Go turn on your Wii U's for the first time in 10 years and buy Ogre Battle 64. <laughs> All right. That's a random fucking tangent. 
Um, so anyways, Astalon was great. <laughs> uh, play Astalon, very good game. It's a 2D Metroidvania-style 8-bit, but very polished 8-bit look. It was it was really great. I can't recommend it enough. Um, I decided to... Uh, I found my PlayStation Vita. I was under the impression that a friend of mine had borrowed it forever ago, and that friend of mine is somewhere in the Middle East now. I, he He's all over the place, but... I thought that my Vita was essentially lost to me. Um, but no, it was in a drawer just in my house. It wasn't hiding at all. So I found it, and I, I decided I was going to download all of the um, like PlayStation 1 RPGs that I had uh, bought over the years on my PlayStation Network account. And uh, so it's it's my little PS1 RPG machine now. And Sweet. I, I booted up Sweet Code in 2. Uh, I beat the first one a long time ago, and I, I got pretty far in the second one, and then my parents decided that they wanted to bring me as a 20-year-old to Disney World for Christmas one year. Uh, which I wasn't particularly keen on doing. Uh, I'd never been to Disney World, so I feel like they kind of missed the boat on that one. Uh, but, you know, we went, <laughs> and I did it. Anyways, I'll leave it at that. I love you, Mom and Dad. But um, my my fucking PlayStation Vita was stolen from our hotel room uh, while we were in the States, so I never got to finish Recoding 2. So anyways, I started it up again on, on a PS Vita that I ended up buying secondhand years ago on, on some website, I forget where, but... Uh, it's it's kind of a slow start. I, I like the story quite a bit. Like it's presented very well. Um, it's definitely a bit of a slog to get through at the beginning, and it really doesn't do much to explain its its mechanics at all. So like the whole rune system is is important to the Sweet Coden series, and you really just kind of have to stumble your way through it. It's very very piecemeal in how it presents that. Um, but like you know, it, it's an old game. Like it's from the '90s. And it looks incredible to this day. Like the the spriting that team did is amazing, especially the animations they were able to pull off. You can watch a cutscene from that game, and it, it yeah, it, it's incredible. You should you should look up just YouTube some Sweet Code and Two cutscenes. There's a lot of good ones of the of the villain Luca Blight, um, just like killing people. But the you know the detail with which he he you know swings that sword is really cool. Um, it so holds yeah. up really well. I remember I remember an early cutscene between your main character and. Uh... Uh, his blonde friend, and I won't spoil anything for anyone listening, but that scene still has some impact on me. Yeah, yeah, they they do a really good job of of presenting all that without cutscenes, right? Just just these awesome like in-game graphic, amazing two D animation style. So mm-hmm. it it looks amazing. Um, it's definitely not the most complicated RPG in the world, and it, it's fairly bare bones, um, like uh, systems wise, but. This is going to sound super shallow. Um, you can have six characters in battle at once, which is cool. Um, and when you like attack with everybody, some of them will attack at the same time if they're attacking different enemies and stuff like that. And it all just looks very cool and smooth when it happens. So even though it's fairly simple, my my caveman brain is like, oh, three characters hitting <laughs> at the same time. I like the game. So, yeah, I do like that aspect of it. And, and it is picking up. So That's I, all that matters. I, <laughs> as long as Caveman Brain is satisfied, it's fine. Um, I've been enjoying it. I'm going to try my darndest to keep going. Um, I, I made the mistake. I always do this where I'm, like, between major games that I'm planning on playing. I pick up something in the middle while, you know, I'm waiting for the new one to release. And then I inevitably put it down as soon as the new one comes out and then, you know, have a bad habit of not coming back to it. I'm very bad at playing right multiple things at the same time very very bad same with reading i cannot read multiple books at the same time but i i bought the skyward sword remake on the switch um not because i'm particularly impressed with the remake i actually think nintendo i don't want to say they did a bad job because they can, can you give they... me one second i just have to insert something here oh sure sure I, uh, I don't have a good file for it so i'll just have to improvise boo <laughs> <laughs> screw you man <laughs> Screw you. I don't have any comebacks. Screw you. I, I, the reason I bought it was because I quite liked Skyward Sword when it came out originally. The game definitely has its flaws. Like, there's no doubt about it. Some of it, some of the stuff you have to do in that game sucks butthole. Straight up. Um, but I, I remember some really, really strong, like, set piece moments and set piece battles that have stayed with me since I played it when it first came out, which was like 10 years ago now. Um, like so, what it does well, it does really well. I actually really like the world in this one. I like I like the lore that that Skyward Sword kind of establishes for the series, even though the lore is pretty, you know, it's it's not super well connected for the most part. But I like what they attempted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, it's got the coolest Zelda of all the games by a long shot. She's just like her own independent character. Who, you know, you're you're the whole game. You're kind of 
quote unquote trying to save her, but she's really off having her own adventure with Impa. And every time you find her, she's like, "Hey, like it's good to see you, but fuck off! I'm doing my own thing." And you're just like, "Oh, <laughs> gotta save the princess!" So you just keep you know charging ahead because um, Link is dumb. But anyways, I I, I bought it just because I I wanted to replay it, and I had no interest in hooking up my Wii and tracking down the game and using those you know pretty mediocre motion controls. So it was entirely just an a convenience thing and you know it looks prettier than it used to I, i've been enjoying it the the motion controls are actually what i decided to stick with i was gonna try the button only controls but i haven't even tried them at all yet because i read a number of kind of negative articles on it uh some of the things didn't sound super streamlined like you can't move the camera and swing his sword at the same time um because i read that's because the right stick is now used for attacking yeah exactly so the right analog stick becomes essentially your your motion controller right so you're flicking it in whatever direction you want his sword to, to swing which to me sounded mm. like a really cool elegant solution to getting around the motion controls but then again every time you do that you lock yourself camera wise which right. apparently just feels super odd because you know as soon as you start combat now you lose control over something you had control over a moment ago so anyways i decided you know what the game was developed with motion controls in mind i don't remember hating them at the time i played it originally so i decided i was just going to try it with motion again and it's fine. Like, it works fine. Uh, motion controls, to me, are still mostly annoying. Um, I, I played Twilight Princess all on the Wii. I never actually played the cube version. Um, and really? I actually quite liked, like, aiming my bow and stuff with the motion controls. I thought that felt pretty cool, like an old arcade shooter or something. Um, and I haven't really gotten to anything like that in Skyward Sword yet, so I'm sure it'll grow on me a bit more. But for now, it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, but I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm glad I got it. I'm definitely going to keep playing it. I hate 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 the whole amiibo bullshit they did where they lock that quality of yeah. life feature behind an amiibo that they couldn't even release on time i think it got delayed and at the very least it's <laughs> being scalped to hell so you know classic nintendo just good guy nintendo screw you nintendo he said buying everything nintendo. they ever released um <laughs> yeah but that's that's kind of it so sweet coding 2 is kind of on the back burner for now i'm probably gonna just try and power through skyward sword and because uh, it won't be nearly as long i don't think and uh yeah go from there Anything you're looking forward to at all coming up, John? Uh, you know, I haven't really been keeping an eye on, on new releases. I'm still looking forward to getting a PS5 and going through Demon's Souls and Returnal. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, would love to see more from the Astalon team. Um, still very curious about Final Fantasy 16. Me too. I'm very curious, especially because Yoshi P is involved and it's no Tetsuya Nomura as far as I know, which is so good that he's not involved as as donkey yeah, said he uh, is the real last boss <laughs> jetsu namura and his black magic yeah, so yeah I, I love I'm, that I'm donkey video so much yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah i was not a big fan of ff7 remake um yoshi and, and i played a lot of final fantasy 14 and i have a lot of problems with it but i do think the it is a quality game and i think yoshi p can get games made so outside of the, the trappings of uh, an MMO and, and the crap you're kind of re- not restricted to, I guess, but some of the patterns you're kind of in some ways forced to implement just sure. to satisfy that many players. Um, in a single-player context, I'd like to see what he can do. Yeah, no, I'm very, very curious. Um, I was going to say, I like uh, I like that he can, he can get games made. That's actually a very good point because if anything, if Square Enix needs anything, it's somebody who can actually release a Final Fantasy game. Uh, with any sort of <laughs> yeah, reasonable right. time frame. Yeah, good point. Um, I asked you Ten that question years. because I was thinking to myself, and I don't really have anything that I'm particularly... that's on my horizon that I'm super excited for. I guess the, the Shin Megami Tensei Five. I'm probably going to play that when it comes out in November, but yeah, anyways. Hmm. It did look pretty good. There's always $260 uh, really to spend on Tactics uh, or Ogre Battle 64. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. For uh, Shin Megami, I, I really liked the... Um, Do you ever see that anime, Orphan? I've never seen Orphan. I know the cover like very well, and he has that little laser sword, right? Yeah, but that that he uses magic to like get a blade on his fingers. And okay. when I saw the trailer for um, oh, the, yeah. the new Megami Tensei, it, it's kind of the same thing. It's, I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. See see what happens there. Um, not game wise, but I am definitely looking forward to um, learning more about Steam Deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk the Steam Deck more uh, at the end when we talk some news. Do you want to jump into um, sure. kind of today's topic before we get too too tangential here? 
Let's do it. Okay. Today's topic is video game subscription services. Uh, in particular, we'll be talking mostly probably about um, Xbox Game Pass because it's really the you know the big titan of the industry right now, and probably what's you know the thing that's going to kind of set the momentum and the rules more or less, or at least you know the expected rules of engagement for this kind of thing. Um, so John and I definitely both have some concerns when it comes to games as a subscription. Um, I can feel a bunch of you rolling your eyes right now, especially you Xbox diehards who are like, it's it's good value and it's awesome and I love it. That's fine. We'll talk about that for sure. Um, but I think that just for you know video games as a medium at large, the the shift towards this, it should at least promote your prompt you to ask certain questions about you know what are what are the knock-on effects of this going to be for my hobby long term um i think i want to start off the top with just kind of from a consumer standpoint as as it stands right now because now we're in this interesting hybrid where xbox game pass is huge i think it had like 23 million subscribers last month or something crazy i read that in kotaku um oh well i don't know if that was across both the xbox and the and the pc but either way a big number no matter what um but thankfully, you know, it, it's balanced by a, you know, I don't, I don't know, I was going to say thriving. I'm assuming the video games industry is doing pretty well, and I was going to include the physical um, release and sales as part of that. So you can still go buy a hard copy of something if you like it for the most part, or at least buy it digitally somewhere so you have some sort of ownership of it, over it. Um, so, so right now, from a consumer standpoint, it's, it's Canadian about $15 a month. Is that right, John? I think you looked that up for us on the Xbox. Uh, fifteen bucks for the ultimate plan, I think, mm, okay. and it was like ten ten dollars for either PC or console specific. I see. Oh, I see. Fifteen for both, and then ten if you want just one or the other. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So I mean, ten yeah, bucks. I think is... that ultimate plan is uh, you can play your game essentially anywhere. Yeah, ten bucks is definitely not a bad price for you know a pretty big library of games. It's, they definitely they boast quite a few. Um, there's a lot of new games that are finding their way onto the service, and obviously they bought Bethesda, which is you know the big news and. I think is what's really going to push a lot of people into trying Game Pass for the first time who maybe haven't in a year or two when Starfield does come out. Um, and, and I think the value right now is great. Like I think for, again, as a kid, imagine being a kid who doesn't have his own money and his parents like hate to shell out 60, well, we're in Canada, so 80 to 90 bucks um, for a game, you know, once a month even, or once every two months. If you can say, Mom right. and Dad, I'll never ask you to buy me a game again, but if for 10 bucks a month or if you just buy me this like xbox you know prepaid money card or something i get all these games to to play whenever i want like i think that's going to be a pretty easy sell for a lot of kids to their parents and i know that i would have liked it as a kid for sure i definitely wouldn't have thought twice about it what about you john um you know i like the the netflix model i can see that working for games um and you know there's talk of netflix entering this space also mm -hmm. The, the monthly sub for access to a ton of software is it's kind of hard to argue against. Yeah. <laughs> um, cer certain things like Stadia, I'm, uh, you still, I'm, if I remember correctly, you still have to buy the game on Stadia. And I don't know that firsthand because I would never buy a Stadia. <laughs> <laughs> but the, when we got a platform like that, my first concern is ownership. Um, the moment they... And Google has a history of this. The moment they close that service, do I get to keep anything I spend all my money on? Yeah, yeah, a terrifying um, prospect. But with um, this Netflix model, well, I don't own anything to begin with. I'm paying for access. And not only that, I'm paying a pretty decent price. Um, so I, I do like that. I also like just environmentally, you know, uh, mm -hmm. gaming as a hobby, manufacturing and all that is has a pretty decent impact. Um digital distribution i imagine would go I, I think you know i'd like to be um if someone out there listening knows better then by all means share that if you can on whatever platform if we actually have comments i don't know if we do <laughs> <laughs> but i gotta i imagine that digital only would reduce that um and if it's not a question of like rights and it's just access you know i, I can't really argue against that um my biggest concern then would be are these platforms friendly to devs yeah yeah we we really don't know they're not super transparent I mean, maybe they're i mean obviously they're more transparent with the devs but we don't know as consumers kind of what the agreements look like for for devs on the other side of it when they get put onto the service mm -hmm. um 
I want to come mm. back to that in a second. Just just from the the kind of you know the value side of it right now, I think yeah we we can both agree. We're both firmly in the camp that it's a good deal right now. You get a lot for the price you pay. Um, of course, with with anything, it's you know these are multi million billion dollar businesses. So when they you know carve out their niche or they push out their competition and you say Xbox Game Pass becomes the only place to play anything that matters, you know what I mean? Just worst case scenario, they really run away with the whole cake. Um, sure. You know when when does the price stop being ten dollars and what is it? What do they change it to? Um, when does it become just kind of less accessible, less affordable? And, and then how do the the dev agreements change as well? Because, you know, they might be paying handsomely now. We don't know for a fact. We'll talk about a little anecdote there in a second. But when they really have all the power, and that's the only place to put your game, do those agreements start to look a lot less attractive to, to devs? I mean, it's obviously a bit of a cynical view, but it's capitalism, right? Like, they're there to maximize profits. That's That's what a company's boardroom is there to do, so... Um, yeah, I just don't like to be idealistic about it because companies don't tend to either. I think we're seeing some shades of that with the Epic versus Apple battle going on right now. Um, you know, Apple has like famously closed systems um, and the cuts that platforms like the Apple Store, even Steam. Steam, I think, is a 30% cut. Yeah, I think Apple and Steam it's, are it's, pretty It's pretty big. Yeah. Um, and then, pun intended, Epic comes along and upsets the Apple cart. <laughs> wow! You know what? No, no, we're gonna edit. Um, we're gonna edit that joke out, and that's gonna be for premium content listeners only. So Patreon access, which we don't have set up yet, but yeah, that's a Patreon joke. <laughs> and then our and then our podcast died <laughs> <laughs> before it even started. Um, yeah, so so shades of that with with that battle going on right now. I the reason I bring that up is if something like Game Pass grew to be like that and their prices were less friendly. The nice thing about software is there is always, well, not always, but there could be a competitor right. um, who has a better business model and has the resources to make it work. Um, and then the only trouble is like, can you get people to migrate over to your service? Yeah, for sure. And then um, that does bring up that that worry of fragmentation too, right? So like with the video, you know, yes. movie streaming services now, where they're starting to have more and more different ones on offer. Uh, granted, I mean, I have Netflix and and I have uh, Prime Video just because we happen to have Amazon Prime. I would never ever pay for Prime Video if I didn't just have Amazon Prime. Um, but like between those two services, I'm pretty happy, right? There's more stuff there than I could ever want to play or to watch rather, sorry. Um, but for whatever reason, I just feel differently about it when it comes to games. Like I don't mind as much not owning the movies I want to watch. There's something about, I don't know, again, going back and playing a game again is, is a different undertaking. It's a different experience than rewatching a movie. Yes. Um, uh, you bring up a really good point. I wanted to actually talk about that a bit. Oh, okay, um, yeah, go nuts. Just a lot, a lot of my enjoyment from gaming uh, comes from owning a physical copy of the thing. You know, I like. You know, I, I have memories as a kid where I, I'm taking a new game home, and that was that was huge for me. Like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna read the manual on the bus ride home. And sadly, manuals have disappeared. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Owning the game and like seeing my collection on a shelf is still. I, I still like that. I still want more of that. Um, the other thing, though, is Netflix regularly um, gets rid of older content. So what's the, what is a service like this? Or if this was the way you access gaming now in the future, in five years, ten years, whatever, and it was digital only, um, what does that mean for games preservation? Like you're kind of at the mercy of whoever's curating that service library, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a feeling if it comes to that where you know physical media really starts to go the way of the dinosaur... And you know what? You know, in all fairness, we might be wrong about that. Maybe there are enough people like you and I who, who like the physical ownership enough that it's always going to be too big to ignore. Um, but I, I just, I know that companies, if they can, want to get away from that, right? Because it's just more expensive for them to produce. Um, so we're kind of fighting, sure. in my mind, an uphill battle there. But um, oh god, what the hell was I going to say? No, no, it's happening. What were you just talking about, John? Uh, the fact that Netflix uh, controls what you have access to, like games preservation. Oh, yeah, getting getting rid of older content. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel like there will be a rise of a whole other industry whose 
sole thing is to like um, kind of get contracts with game developers to make limited run physical releases of things right like we already see limited mm -hmm. run physical releases of certain media right um, can right. you imagine how like lucrative that would become in, in an age when pretty much everything is digital all the time but if you pay a super premium price you can get this awesome physical version of you know whatever game that would really suck although I guess no that wouldn't work unless the consoles or we, whatever we're playing them on at the time have some sort of actual physical you know cartridge or disc or whatever and if it goes all digital that True. would be the case so I guess you would get a box yeah, I don't, I don't with, own a with PS5, a picture on but it. the PS5 PS5 has a digital only edition right it does yeah 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 so does the so does the Which, Xbox yeah that's still kind of crazy to me that uh, you can buy a games console that doesn't accept games media <laughs> yeah it is it is it is weird it's, it's it seems counterintuitive even, even just from I forget about this all the time but like if I you know, I'm being lazy and I don't want to go to the store and, and get a game. There, there's obviously digital games are horribly convenient because one, you can buy them from the comfort of your own home. Two, you don't have to, you know, get up and swap a disc. But I, I bought Last of Us 2 um, digitally because I just, I wanted to get an ASAP and I kind of did it on a whim. And then I wanted mm -hmm. to lend it to a friend and I was like, son of a bitch, I can't, I can't do that now. It's stuck on my console. Like, I, there's nothing physical to give them. And it actually, like, I was really, really upset about it. I, I felt like I, I fucked up. Um, something I, I think I people, exactly what you mean. yeah, people forget about the fact that if you own something, you can share it among your friends. Like you, you can save money that way, right? But I, well, I, you know, that's what they, that's what the companies want to stop, right? Well, of course, of course, <laughs> yes, exactly. This, yeah, one good reason why they're against it, um, and one good reason why um, Xbox back in the the PlayStation Four Xbox One era was going to have the DRM on discs, right? Where each disc was, was tied to a console. Right. Which, uh, yeah, easy to forget about that. Um, thankfully, people were mad enough that they thought it was bad PR to, to push through with it. And thankfully, Sony capitalized <laughs> so hard. And they were like, nope, no DRM, <laughs> eat shit. And then they ran away with that <laughs> press. So anyways, but, but it's it just... That's a direct quote, by it, the way. That's a, yeah, <laughs> that's Mr. Sony himself. Sony son, um, <laughs> but Sony son. But uh, I, it's it's in my mind again. We're we're always going to be fighting the the kind of corporate interests here, which are not in line with with the culture. I hate to be so big brain about this, but the culture of gaming that sounds really cheesy. But but there's something to it. I stand by it. I th I think you're right. Business is always going to push to make the best decision for business, even if it's at the expense of like the experience. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's we're, we're going to keep seeing it. Like the only way you can really, I don't know, collectively have your voice heard is not to buy stuff you don't agree with, right? Yeah, um, and and which is consumers. which is difficult. Yes, <laughs> uh, I was going to say it's yeah. really difficult because if they're controlling access to everything you want to play, you know, I I, I want to play that. This is like my favorite pastime. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, they they know that, right? So they're going to take advantage. Um, and if they're the only game in town, then you know, in some ways, what choice do you have other than to, I guess, just not support them and, and, and not purchase it. And then it kind of sucks because then what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? You jerk off so yeah. much. <laughs> what are you going to go outside? <laughs> no. I'm going to leave my house. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> Nintendo knows I have brain worms and I'm going to buy the Skyward Sword re-release <laughs> on Switch, right? I don't have a chance. I don't, I can't compete with their marketing and my nostalgia bastards. Um... <laughs> Oh, and so, so let's quickly talk about just, you can already see it now, right? We can already see the, the consequences of, of some companies. So, you know, we'll, we'll blame Nintendo and Sony to an extent here, but you brought up a good point. We were talking about this before the podcast that, you know, some third party developers are to blame here too, like Square Enix, for example, being not particularly, you know, generous with, with their, their back, back catalog on different systems. You know, if I want to play an old PS1 RPG, and it's not on the PlayStation Store, which is only accessible on the PlayStation 3 and the Vita, uh, and we'll get to that in a second too, but if, if it's not available right. on the store, I'm probably paying at least 100 but probably more, probably closer to 150 or $200 to get a physical copy of that game. And that is my option if I want to 
you know, legally obtain that and, and play it on hardware. And I really like to play stuff on hardware. There's, again, something weirdly special about it. Um, I'm bad at articulating it. But, like, I, I beat Final Fantasy um, VI on the Super Nintendo back when I was in university. Like, an actual cartridge of that game. And it just felt so cool. It was, like, a cool, you know, gamer moment. But... So if it's not on the store, you've got to pay tons of money. It's not accessible. These games kind of go the way of the dinosaur, and they're hard to get simply by being, you know, too expensive for most people. So they're just going to end up in the hands mm -hmm. of collectors or, you know, rich gamers, however many of those there are. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the PlayStation Store is a good example here. So, so they were going to kill that off for the PS3 Store and the Vita Store, um, I think this summer. I think it was this July. Uh, or maybe it was even earlier, and there was a big outcry. It was pretty recent. Yeah, it was. It was. It was soon. Anyways, there was a big outcry, and, and people said, you know, what the hell? There's still tons of stuff on there that it's the only place to get it. There's so much of your of your legacy that's only on that store and nowhere else. So it's gonna just go away if you take it away. And they said, okay, fine, fine. We're gonna kill it still, but you have a little bit longer to get the stuff off of it you want. So even then, it's right. not that they're interested in keeping you know these games on the service. They're they're going to get rid of it. They're just giving you more time to get your shit and get out. But also, it kind of sucks to have to like dig out your PS3 or your Vita every time you want to do that now, right? Like ideally, this stuff would find its way just onto a a big Sony or Nintendo store that's accessible from every console going forward. Obviously. I'm a little bit blind to the you know logistics of this and how difficult it is to set that up, um, but I think it is important. And once the work is done, I feel like you know it would just kind of be easier to maintain. You wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel every time a new system came out to let somebody buy Super Mario World again for the fourth fucking time, which they would do, which I would do, and will do. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I figure it would be. I would think it'd be like a point of pride for a publisher slash developer if they publish themselves but to to make your old work accessible like you know the, you can see our entire journey as a dev here's everything we've made yeah um but yeah being trapped on aging hardware sucks because um and I, i'm not 100 percent certain of this but i imagine that the moving parts in like a disc reading drive or piece of hardware um would not age as well as like the chips reading a cartridge from a SNES or something. Right. Um, so if you're just, I guess we're talking about digital here, but so it's not really a concern. But um, just being able to, if you don't offer your your backlog digitally somehow, um, and you don't make new versions of the hardware that plays it, eventually, and you, you eventually you're fucked. You know, you can't you can't play anything anymore. Yep. Um, it's it's already difficult to find like good quality um, like a PSP or a Vita, right? It, and they're they're really expensive. Yeah, exactly. There are some games like Tactics Ogre that you can only get that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really sucks. Yeah, let, um, let me put this in stark terms for people. If you're not worried about this, here's here's the best kind of picture I can paint to maybe get you concerned. It's a hundred years from now, okay? You can no longer get a copy of Final Fantasy XV. They have scrubbed the internet of all gameplay videos. All you have is their word that Final Fantasy XV was the best game ever made. What the, they can you're just gonna let them rewrite history like that? And now they're gonna capitalize on that on that you know we made the best game ever, Final Fantasy XV, and you can't prove them wrong because you don't have a copy of it to boot up and shit on on YouTube. <laughs> They make millions of dollars. You're the last. You're 90 years old on your deathbed, trying to tell your relatives, "No, it was a bad game." And they say, "You're senile, Grandpa. Shut up and die." Like it doesn't get much worse <laughs> than that. So that's what's at stake, people. Well, see, everybody knows you're full of shit because in a hundred years, that game still won't be done. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we won't turn this into the Final Fantasy Fifteen Sucks podcast. That's for a future podcast. Do not worry. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it's own podcast. Yeah, it uh, like I do. There was something. There was kind of a kernel of, of an actual decent point in there that these companies capitalize on their legacy, right? Like Square Enix, they they, they take they have the weight they do because of their history. It's not because of what the fuck they're making nowadays. At least for me. Um, 
You know what I mean? Like the, the reason that they still mean anything to me, the reason I still tuned into the Square Enix press conference this year, which was dumb and a huge waste of my time, is because they've made some of the best gaming experiences of my life. And I'm hoping that they'll do that for me again someday. But if these things disappear off the face of the planet, or there's no real way to appreciate them anymore. Um, yeah, we, we lose something. I think it, we lose something important. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, so as it is right now, like with kind of the state of affairs now, you know, I, I think it's probably fine as long as we have this hybrid, right? If there's a subscription service, so be it. I see a lot of people commenting online um, that if they like something on Game Pass, they, they end up going and buying it. Um, and I, I think Phil Spencer, the, the head of Xbox, made a comment about how he was surprised at just how many games were played on by users on Game Pass and then were shortly purchased shortly thereafter. So like that's great. That's people wanting to support you know indie developers and developers at large. And to me, it's also people saying I really want or ownership of games is really important to me. Um, so I, I think that's good. I think that's a good thing. And at the very least, we'll show them that making sure there's a a way for us to have ownership that that lasts is at least something they have to face when they're making their decisions about what to do with the service. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I would definitely do the same thing. If I like something enough that I play digitally, I'm like, I, I do want a copy. I want that on my shelf. Yeah, for sure. Um, on the topic of, of like um, developer compensation, because I was, I was curious about this, and it's, it's really hard to say how it works and you know if it's a lump sum to be put on the service or if it's a lump sum and you get some sort of payout based on how many people play the game so it's not clear but john you had a quick little um 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 what's the word what's the a word i want to use anecdote thank you i was gonna say analogy and then anal kept coming to mind and i couldn't get anal out of my head so yeah an anal dote yes an anal dote so you had a quick anal dote from a developer you want to read that Sounds like a proctology healing spell. <laughs> Adel Toad. Um, yeah, so just to elaborate a little bit on what I was talking about with friendly to devs, it's, you know, a lot of the marketing around um, these, these consoles, platforms, storefronts, whatever these days is how friendly they are to indie devs. So it's nice to actually read something that confirms that. Um, mm-hmm. So I was reading something here on purexbox.com about a developer who... I'm just going to quote them now. Xbox Game Pass is the biggest financial deal I've ever gotten. So what they say here is after the ID at Xbox open house, I got a few little hints that I was going to get a Game Pass deal, but I didn't really know what that meant or what it involved. It was formally offered in October 2019, and it was pretty huge. It's still the biggest financial deal I've ever gotten to the point where I had to ask them to repeat the numbers on the phone call. (laughs) And they go on to say that, until that point, I'd been bootstrapping. The game was funded out of pocket, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and they go on to say here, finally, uh, the Game Pass deal allowed me to fund the rest of the game, make it profitable, and still do everything I wanted to do with a publisher without having to get a publisher. So that's that's a pretty nice uh, story about how this like actually lets some indie devs make the game in the quality they wanted to make it in yeah to Um, my mind that's like insanely positive like that that makes me really happy to hear that so if if the mm -hmm. service continues to do that right even if they become even if they have more and more leverage and they continue to pay these devs that way then heck yeah i'm gonna give them a lot more leeway I'm, i'm gonna give them a lot less shit because that's amazing like being able to you know giving someone the ability to make a game is is awesome and basically they're investing in this this stuff right like it's it's it might not pay off for them they're gambling um but if they're happy to take those gambles then all the power to them yeah for sure um and you know the game industry is just notoriously rife with mistreating um triple a staff with like ridiculous crunch time and overtime and all that stuff um not only that all the stories about like fucking office sexual harassment and all that so it's i think we're gonna see We've been seeing it for a while, but I think the indie scene will just continue to grow. I think these these um, the big three are going to continue to invest there. So it's nice to see this story from not too long ago, like two years ago, um, that this indie uh, saw a lot of success with them. Yeah. Which uh, which game was that, John? Just so we can shout out an indie game. 
All right, so the solo developer Davion Gooden, and it's the game She Dreams Elsewhere. It's got a pretty cool visual style. You should look it up. I thought it looked pretty intriguing. It looks like it has some kind of, or it certainly looks like it's an RPG of some kind, but kind of like a cool Western style. Um, yeah. Check it out. Mm, yeah, give me some uh, some Earthbound vibes. Mm-hmm, totally. Absolutely. I actually I kind of got some Undertale vibes too. But. Mm, oh, yeah, true. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I guess um, one last yeah, disclaimer. That's it for that, though. Yeah, one last disclaimer here is we've talked about this for um, like 30 minutes, but for the record, neither John nor I has <laughs> ever used Game Pass. So we, <laughs> we're doing a lot of criticizing without having used it. But, I mean, I think we can fairly kind of say it's, it's a good deal. There's lots of good stuff on it. Um, and, and make these points without having had to necessarily download and play a game from it. Um, I guess the only thing we didn't touch on, John, was, was cloud gaming. And uh, the concern. Yeah, uh, just to, allow, to clarify, I think what you what you're getting at there though is our what we're talking about is mostly about uh, like the concerns of a digital only future. In yeah, a way. where where this um, could go exactly. Yeah. Yeah, how, if this continues to grow, because Game Pass seems to be doing amazing, um, and like we said, businesses will always do what's best for the business. Um, you know what happens in 50 years and how we access our games. So we're we're just speculating a bit here. Um, sorry, wait, I, I cut you off. What were you, what were you about to get into? Uh, well, I just wanted to quickly touch on cloud gaming. Um, All right. This is, again, just you know more speculation, but what if we started to get to a point where cloud gaming really became the norm? Um, it, it just all sounds terrible to me. Uh, I hate the idea of having to be online to play a game. Uh, I hate the idea for, for people who are playing competitive games especially. Um, yeah, it just sounds awful to me. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I just think there's more to my, my first thought is like for, for one I think internet access at this point should be a, a right not uh, like a privilege like I think it should be provided to you and should be good quality yeah I, I agree <laughs> um, with that 100% because the bills will just continue to stack and if you look at a platform like Stadia um, and the fact that you're paying I believe you're paying a fee to access the library and then you're still paying to purchase the digital only game on Stadia. It's such a shit model to me because if Google kills Stadia, which I'm pretty sure is happening anyway, it's not exactly doing well. Um, it's a great place to play like one or two Assassin's Creed games, I guess. <laughs> but if that thing dies, what happens to everything I purchased if I can no longer like authenticate with the Stadia server or something? Yeah. Um, like I, I think I brought this anecdote up in the last uh, episode, but uh, I take a lot of courses on Udemy or Udemy, however you say that. And course I purchased a while ago and I've been meaning to get to I finally tried to get to it and the um, creator of it uh, deleted all their their Udemy content in like a, a protest against Udemy because they didn't think the cut was fair and you know so be it but I'd already purchased that um, the but I didn't I didn't get to keep that when this person deleted that content right. now luckily through Udemy I got a refund but if their policy was no refunds I could have just lost the money I spent on a, a digital product I that disappeared yeah um, yeah that's literal it's just making money disappear at that point which is a terrible feeling yeah so uh, the the my like main concern with with cloud gaming is going to be ownership rights yeah um, and like we were saying it's not really a problem with the Netflix model because you're not paying for ownership you're paying for access but when you are buying a digital product um, if the service propping up access to that product disappears and the policies suck then you're kind of fucked yeah absolutely um yeah that's that's like my biggest concern uh and it seems like companies are just going to continue trying to push digital only slash cloud gaming yeah um, i do think there's really yeah, there's certainly a big corporate interest in it right now so we'll, we'll see where it ends up going in the next you know five ten years i think 10 years from mm-hmm. now we'll really have a good sense of of where gaming is, is going and, and how it's going to be changed. Right. But, um, for the for the record here, Netflix the the whole so Netflix announced that they were going to include some sort of gaming of some kind with their with their service. So you don't have to pay any extra for it. Um, at least that's what they're saying so far. So if you have Netflix, you also will have access to these games. They've come out and said very firmly that they're not aiming to have any sort of advertisements or, or anything in these games. 
Um, I think people were awesome. were worried that you know this was going to be the beginning of competition on this scene is going to lead to now finally advertisements in your video game where you just get pulled out for five minutes and get stuck watching an ad. One of our friends, uh, uh, his name is David. Each it, David. I named you on the podcast. Um, he uh, <laughs> he we brought up in our chat recently uh, just how inter- like funny it is to think of somebody in like VR. And then you're like VR, you get stuck in VR <laughs> watching an ad and you like can't escape it. It's just your whole world is that advertisement. Very, very. Your character is like chained down to a chair. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what they do. That, that's kind of hilarious. Um, but the other thing the Netflix article said is that they're aiming for more mobile games. So hmm. I was interpreting this as like, oh, we're going to be another option for like indie devs or, you know studios to come to and say can we put our game on your service but i think they're really aiming to do more of like an apple arcade style um and and target like specifically mobile game developers okay yeah um which is uh disappointing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm not really a mobile gamer um so if if it doesn't increase if that's what they're offering and it doesn't increase my netflix bill then this is like it basically won't exist to me. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, if they're not screwing over devs and they're not shoving ads in your face, then that's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, um, I guess all the power to them. Again, and competition here will, will only be a, a good thing, um, unless, of course, it becomes the fact that you have to own six different you know, game streaming <laughs> yeah. services to play the, the six different series you like a lot. So, Just um, a quick note, too, on Apple Arcade, because you mentioned it. Mm. Um, I would, I would, I was looking forward to Fantasian, and I just, I'll never play it because it's. I'm not gonna buy an Apple device to, to get access to the arcade and play that, right? Well, yeah, um, for sure, yeah. It's it's unfortunate that this really cool looking thing is trapped exclusively on this, meh platform for now. Yeah, no, I, I understand. <laughs> a lot of people were super. I, I like, I've seen a ton of comments where people were like, "What the hell? Like, I really want to play this game, but." I can't because I don't have an Apple device, and like, yeah, that that sucks. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really no different than, you know, console exclusivity, uh, and there are yeah. tons and tons of people with Apple devices. But I can definitely appreciate that that feeling because it's not the same as buying a different console, right? But you'd, you'd never, you wouldn't buy an Apple phone just to play Fantasia, or if you do, right? Yeah, you're weird. You're very weird. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also, Fantasia. Fuck you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. We're gonna start so many rumors about David on this podcast. Um, there we go. David bought an Apple phone just to play Fantasia. Um, rumor number one. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> um, also, for the record, Fantasia is kind of mediocre. So definitely don't buy an Apple device just to play that game. Um, well, that sucks. Yeah, it's it's not great. So, anyways, um, we were going to talk quickly about the uh, the Steam Deck. I think that was our kind of big piece of news we wanted to to react to today. Yeah, um, I, I mean, everything I've seen about it looks pretty good, except for the news about it being scalped recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or that God pre-order nonsense has starting already. I can't. Um, I can't with the scalpers, man. I, I fucking. It fucking sucks. Ah, it makes me so mad. I have the unbridled rage for these fucking assholes. <laughs> like I, I've, I get excited about new hardware. Um, I like that this is bringing. It, it's a really. It looks like it's really well made. It looks like it's going to be a really nice, um, you know, hefty quality device that you can just play your PC shit on on the couch if you want. Yeah. Um, and it, because it's a PC, the amount of customization you're going to be able to do to this is is going to be crazy. Um, so you know, homebrew and, and modding and stuff is going to be nuts, which is awesome. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. I'm, I'm, I just love seeing new hardware. But yeah, the scalping, man. Fuck the scalpers. Yeah, it's awful. It's 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 unbelievable. It's, it's been so bad, I think, um, with, the, with the pandemic in the last year, for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't think the PS5 would have been quite as crazy as it was if not for the pandemic. I don't know where I'm basing that on. These are my feelings, okay? <laughs> and therefore they are facts. And therefore they are facts. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think part uh, of that was exacerbated by the chip shortage, but true enough. Yeah, I did forget about the chip shortage. Um, yeah, so so the Steam Deck scalpers can uh, die in hell for sure. Um, 
I'm definitely pretty positive on it. I like I didn't really have any negative reactions. I thought that was cool that there's going to be another, you know, better switch, just not with Nintendo games. Um, <laughs> you know, make Nintendo fucking actually release a new switch that has more than just a bigger screen. You son of a bitch. Um, yeah, so I'm actually pretty excited. I I don't know. I, I'm torn because I'm actually. I think I'm an interesting demographic here for this because. I would like to get a new PC, like a proper gaming PC. I've never really had a gaming PC, but I'm finally at a point in my life where I could probably afford it, you know, in a year or two if I decide to. Um, hmm. Do I hold off on that and just get a Steam Deck? Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, you look at the specs of something like a PS4, PS5 versus uh, what's in like a really high-end gaming pc like these these are devices um very specialized towards playing games and playing them well yeah so i I wonder with the steam deck and like 16 gigs of ram and whatever graphics card is in there um if it's like really purpose built for gaming um is it going to be able to handle like the next five years of of high-end triple a gaming right on pc right right um if it can, that'd be sweet. It'd be a pretty cool investment, and it's also going to have the dock where you can play on your on your TV well, if you exactly, want. Exactly, yeah. Um, so that that's uh, if it can handle it, this is what I'd be looking into because it's more affordable than building a PC. Well, yeah, that, that's my thinking. <laughs> um, if, yeah, that's a good point. If if it can last at least, I think four or five years of of yeah, of more or less, it can play the new new releases for that time. Then I think it does sound like the way to go. Because in four or five years, you'll be upgrading your PC anyways, right? Uh, yeah. If you if you're someone who's really into the latest PC stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely I'm not really big into that. I upgrade my tower like once every ten years. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like if if this was a new line of gaming hardware coming out, that is for pc gaming and it can handle the, the whatever the market's throwing at it that'd be pretty sweet right um i, I would I, one concern would be is the price is going to go up based on the there, there's like different models for the memory i think oh. um like there's there's a 512 gigabyte high speed nvme drive version so more storage um and you look at the switch too with its shitty built-in 32 gigs um i think the lowest version of the steam deck is 64 gigs and each drive is um, not the same quality, so that the cheapest 64 gig one is not as good as the NVMe drive. Oh, I see. But it is the most affordable option, so I, I wonder if that's going to have any impact. Um, I'm sure it's still a decent drive, but it's unfortunate that's not just one unit. You know, we decided we're going to go with 256 gigs for 400 bucks. Here you go. Yeah. Um, did um, I read something about one of them having a solid state drive and one of them not having a solid state drive? Uh, the 64 gig one is, from what I'm seeing on the listing here, is not SSD. I don't know what EMMC is, honestly, but um, I'm also, I don't think Valve would offer like shit that would look bad for them when this comes out, because I imagine the cheaper, affordable one is going to be the one that sells the most. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, the 256 and 512 are specifically listed as SSD. Ah, the, I see. The cheapest one is not. Okay. So, um, not too sure what that'll mean for uh, load times and whatnot, but hopefully it's not too bad. Hopefully not. Yeah, I'm intrigued. There, there was a, I think it was IGN, maybe it was GameSpot. Somebody had a video of some actual hands-on time with the Steam Deck, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, I'll have to give it a look. I, uh, I kind of like how, how you know, big and fat and bulky it is. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it reminds me of like an old Game Gear or something. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. So, I just it looks like good hardware. Yeah. Uh, can't wait to get my hands yeah, on it. Yeah. Like you said, just new hardware is exciting. I like new hardware. And you know what? These controls don't detach, so no motion controls. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank God. And hopefully, they even said they're gonna try not to have any drift, which is a hilarious shot across the bow to Nintendo. <laughs> um, nice. Speaking of drift, very quickly, I was playing Skyward Sword on my Switch the other day because I'm an idiot loser who bought it. We've been over this. Um, and I, uh, I had accidentally jumped off um, of Skyloft, and you fall into the, the sky, and then a knight has to save you. And it's a little cutscene that says, you fucking idiot, you fell off the side. And I, I was like, oh, ha, silly me, I fell off the side. Right after that cutscene ended and I got through the dialogue, 
I immediately ran off the ledge again because my controller had drifted to push forward and I couldn't react in time, so I had to watch the whole fucking. Fuck. You fell off the edge. Oh, the the, the Joy-Con drift is brutal. Um, that sucks. Yeah. I have not personally experienced that, but I know it's really common. It's yeah, super common. Really dumb, Nintendo. Why have you forsaken me? Um, <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, anything else you want to chat about today before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I think I said everything I want to say today. What about you? Uh, no, I think uh, I'll just quick little teaser for the pod next time. Next time we talk about David's deepest, darkest secrets. So tune in, guys. I was going to say, let's shit on Dave. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a deal. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in a week or two with the next one. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.